This week's Better Call Saul recap is sponsored by True Car. If you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with the term like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for, but what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price, and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. That's why there's True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car that you want, including the fees and the accessories before you even get to the dealership. And a True Car dealer will show you the true price on a car like the one that you want all from the comfort of home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car is going to show you what other people paid for the car that you want, and your certified dealer knows this. So they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Better Call Saul Season 4, Episode 9 is over, but we are just getting started talking about what's to come in the finale on the Better Call Saul Post Show Recap. And now, here's the two guys who are ready to talk about what does the law mean to you? I'm Rob Sister, and back together with Antonio Mazzara. Antonio, how are you? Rob, I'm doing great. Yeah, just uh, just getting started. Just getting started. You're a little late on the Better Call Saul podcast this week. Thanks for everybody for hanging in. We definitely wanted to set up the finale before the big moments on Monday night. Yes, so we had we a are. time jump here, and now it's the end of the uh, Better Call Saul week. So uh, what happened the truth was... is I got suspended from podcasting, yes, okay. and I had a hard reinstated. time arguing to get reinstated, right? No, uh, th- what happened was that for those of you guys who are uh, not aware that I uh, mostly am podcasting about reality TV on Rob is a podcast. We had our live show in New York City uh, this week. I was in New York for uh, a number of reasons, but uh, what was going on uh, during last week was that we had our live show in New York City, and so I was uh, busy with that. We could not get a time together to record. I am now uh, back home in uh, my regular studio where I normally record from, and it is Saturday afternoon when we're talking about this and uh, I feel very badly about not getting you guys a show. The finale of Better Call Saul is coming up on Monday night, so Antonio and I at least want to check in, talk about episode 9 and what's to come here with the finale. And Antonio, it is very nice uh, to be back here talking to you. Yeah, and I'm thankful to be talking to you, Rob. No offense to anyone else, but uh, I thought about you during this episode, and the the German big brother came to an interesting conclusion, uh, self-eviction. I didn't see that coming, so uh, <laughs> yeah. we've got... We've like got a meta world peace lines. situation. Yeah, a little meta. He, he, yeah, he took, he took the meta. So this is, this is good. And I'm glad we're here to talk about it. Setting up the finale. Very excited to do that. So I don't think we should have more to do. I don't think we're going to go blow by blow, Rob, right? We're just going to go storyline by storyline. Yeah. Let's talk about what's going on and do a little bit of recap from, uh, this ninth episode and then, uh, talk about what's to come. I think it's going to be a supersized finale on uh, Monday night. And I think that the plan is, uh, we will talk about that on Tuesday afternoon and get into everything. Uh, after the end of season four of Better Call Saul. That sounds great. I'm excited about that. And I'm excited for the finale. A different season of Better Call Saul than we've seen in the past. It's so weird. The show has many different modes, I feel like. And this is a season where some of the storylines have been going for a few episodes, three or four episodes. Like Alalo has not been around that long. And now we're getting a conclusion with him. Mike in the, in the Germans has been a half season story at least. But the Jimmy and Kim stuff has been a multiple season arc. Um, comes to an incredible head in this episode. 
episode. And we'll have to see where the finale takes us in that regard. Uh, we have a place to start for sure. And that's that Jimmy McGill is not yet a lawyer again and maybe has some work to do before he can get back to uh, his position as a lawyer. I'm wondering, Rob, we have this big scene in the finale where Jimmy goes to the board. He has to make his case to the board about why he should be reinstated. Everything that he's done over the last year to make himself uh, appreciate why he should be practicing law. Was there a point during that conversation where you felt like it went south for Jimmy McGill? No, I didn't think it went south during the first time I looked at it. So I watched it on Monday night, uh, right after the episode aired. And I was, uh, you know, sort of like uh, doing uh, something else as I was watching. And then I watched it again before we came on today. So in the initial run, I felt, you know, pretty good about uh, what was going on with Jimmy. I kind of expected him to get through. But then there was that moment where he paused and like considered going back in. And it reminded me of the scene when he was uh, at the copy shop or right. uh, and he was and he went back in and then really nailed the clothes and was like, you know, well, what's wrong with you? How, how could you how could you buy all that? But he didn't do that this time. Do you feel like that uh, that was intentionally similar? I do. And I thought the same thing. Vince Gilligan directed this episode. So you're getting a lot of his eye and his understanding of the show as a whole, right? You're not just bringing a director in off the street. No, uh, no offense to any directors they bring in. They bring in fantastic directors, but you're bringing in someone who's intimately familiar with the DNA of this show. And he's not been as involved. My understanding is he's not been as involved in the writer's room this season, but this is a guy who understands this show at its core and who has worked directly with everything that's happened. I don't think that was an accident. I think that that was definitely similar to that moment. I wondered the same thing. Is he going to go in here and oversell it? Or if you'll remember that earlier scene in the cop, the copy shop, when he does ultimately make the big sale and he closes it and then they're ready to hire him. He's filled with such self-loathing that he, he has a lot of disgust and disdain for them. And so in the scenario you're describing where he goes back in the room here and he wins the, he wins the approval of this committee. I, I wonder, does that end with him saying like, who are you? Like, you don't have any clue of what kind of scumbag I really am. You let me come back in here and win you over. You don't realize how instance I wondered if his self-loathing was going to undo him at that moment. If he were to go back in there, turns out what undid him though, is his inability to process or discuss his feelings for Chuck McGill, Rob, the ghost of Chuck rises from the grave yet again here. Yeah. And Kim and uh, Jimmy will have that big uh, confrontation about that at the end of the episode. And uh, she'll talk about, you know, why didn't you uh, bring up Chuck? Was this a failure on Kim's part to coach Jimmy up for this? That's uh, it's very interesting. This final conversation between uh, well, not the final conversation, but the rooftop conversation between Kim and Jimmy. Uh, if you listen to the insider podcast, the official companion podcast of better call Saul, where they do a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. A lot of people don't like that podcast because they get into details about the production that people don't find interesting, where they talk about how they selected a location or a background actor or whatever. But 
there was some very interesting feedback on the writing of that particular scene and how you're basically looking at that scene as a writer from the perspective of not writing it so that one of those characters is necessarily right, that they are just presenting their own view of events. And it's up to the audience to determine how we feel one way or the other. Each character had a valid or invalid point. And the point you're making about whether Kim had responsibility to take care of this situation is an interesting one to me because it gets to the heart of the nature of their relationship. Is she really his keeper such that she should have to prep him for this sort of hearing? Why should she have that responsibility of, of making this guy realize she has tried to nudge him in that direction all season long. She told him to go to therapy. She's helped him try to process it in different ways. She's stayed out of his way and let him not really get over the hump with regard to Chuck. And if you want to blame her for that, that's fine. And I'm not saying you are, you asked the question and I'm saying, I, I think that there's room for both versions of that. There's room for the version where she has the responsibility because she stayed out of his way and sort of enabled him to mire around and be the kind of guy who hasn't processed that. And then there's a the version was of, of the, of the story where she doesn't know him anything in that regard. He's an adult. He knows what he did. He should know that he has to in some way address this. And it, it, it certainly was that failure. I think she's right that it was his failure to address that they gave him so many opportunities in that conversation they said let's talk about the, the reasons you were suspended he doesn't mention chuck they say what does the law mean to you he doesn't mention chuck they say was there any influence on your views and then he cites the law school that he just shit talked like he's not he never he's mm-hmm. given multiple opportunities to talk about chuck never even thinks about it never even shows a glimmer of that and that's not kim's fault i don't think no, uh, definitely not. I, and that was the one that really jumped out to me where they ask him like any other influence, yeah. anybody you, here's a rope brother. Do you want like a, us to pull you into shore? Or do you want to hang yourself with it? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, really bad, really bad. And then he, like I said, he cites the law school that he just spent time denigrating and basically saying like, yeah, it was a correspondence course. So how could that be the same thing that really significantly influenced his views? And this is, it's, it's a bad look for Jimmy. I, it is interesting that, that he and Kim did in no way prepare for that hearing. Like he didn't go over with Kim that never came up. Like, what are you going to say? How's it going to go? That never comes up. He doesn't ask her. She doesn't ask him. That's interesting to me because their relationship has always had that large degree of the, you know, the, 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 just the hear no evil, see no evil kind of thing. Kim's taken a blind eye to a lot of what he's done, but yet she's also known there's the great moment. I think in season two, it is where Kim is in on what's happened with Jimmy and Chuck. And when Jimmy, when Kim goes back to bed with, with Jimmy after the big chicanery that's happened with the numbers being switched, Mm -hmm. Kim says like, your brother's a really tough adversary. You better, you know, if I were him, if I were up against him, I would make sure that I'd covered all my bases. So basically saying like, I know you did it, go cover it up. Like make sure you've got your, your eyes dotted and your T's crossed. So she has taken a little bit of a blind eye, but I think she knows what's going on with Jimmy. So I don't know why there was no element of preparation. Clearly they have communication issues and they really, that scene on top of the, uh, on top of the parking garage was phenomenal. Like that was a seasons in the making scene that we saw between the two of them for sure. Well, how about this? Uh, And this just came to me as we're talking about this and tell me if this is a crackpot theory. Does 
Kim not want Jimmy to be reinstated because if she does not want to get that shared law office with him one day, then doesn't this prevent that from happening? Definitely. Definitely. Does she want him to fail in some way? I think that if if the the most generous reading of, of her view of that would be, she does not want anything to do with him practicing law. She doesn't want to, I mean, she'll help him if he wants to be a lawyer, she'll help him, but she doesn't want to stick, get her hands dirty with the things that he's going to do. We can be separate. It used to be separate under one roof. That's done. I'm on something else now. Now it's just going to be separate entirely. We can still be in a relationship. We're not going to, I'm not going to touch that. And I think in part, she doesn't want to touch that because she doesn't want to start that ball rolling down the road. Does it help her that he's not going to get reinstated? Sure. But I think by the end of the episode, they're at a place where she is going to help him, it seems, get reinstated. She is willing to go back to the boards, uh, to tread those boards again and really put on a performance to try to help him get reinstated. So I don't think she's against him practicing law. They've had the blow up now about the office. It's out in public, her lack of desire to really go after that. So Whether that was something that motivated her subconsciously or actively, I think that it played out that way in practice because I don't think she really wanted to take any kind of active ownership of him being a lawyer at this point, probably after the drop phone incident, but maybe even before that. Yeah. I mean, she, in my mind, has done like a full 360 in terms of her attitude here in uh, her relationship with Jimmy, because we came out of the last episode with the, hey, uh, let's do it again. And my takeaway was, wow, uh, she's the bad influence here on Jimmy. And then uh, we come back around in this episode and now she's talking about how, well, now I only want to use this uh, for good, which. I'm kind of confused why the Huel thing, uh, she viewed that as an instance of using her powers or their superpowers combined for good, quote unquote. So I don't really know what she wants. I mean, uh, Jimmy calls her out as like, oh, when you're bored, you come around and, uh, you know, want to, you know, roll around in the dirt with me. But you, you don't like I'm not good enough to, uh, you know, be with you professionally. Right. And uh, we can't forget that this episode begins with them using their combined powers. And I don't think under anyone's interpretation that would be deemed for good. She is pulling off the stunt that she set up previously in episodes where she during the episode where she told Kevin from Mesa Verde, I can't get that Lubbock thing you want done. Like I'm, I'm back in page on this one. I can't get it done. The episode begins with her getting it done. And that cannot by any point of anything that that Kim has said on this show previously where she's bemoaned the idea that her career would be about helping a regional bank become a national bank or a larger regional bank. Like that is not for good. Helping Kevin Wachtel get a bigger building in Lubbock is not for good. That is not a good thing that they did to poor Gladys from the leftovers, Rob. Her name was Gladys, <laughs> Summer of Gladys. Uh, she showed up on the center too, Rob. I feel like she's following me around from show to show, but uh, that was not for good in any way. Jimmy makes that point at the diner. Jimmy says like, Hey, uh, you know, what was that? Like you, you said that you, you want to use our powers for good, but, uh, what was that thing we just did, did back there in Lubbock? And Kim's like, Oh, well, like Potter Stewart said, we'll know it when we see it. But, 
Potter Stewart said that about porn, Rob. Like that <laughs> quote is about pornography. Yes. It is not about using your powers for good. So even her, even her connections in this regard are a little bit frayed. And I think Jimmy has a very good point in that diner conversation that the Lubbock thing could not in any way be construed as being done for good. At least with Huell, he was being unfairly charged by the district attorney. He was being overcharged and targeted. There was he did not deserve what they were trying to do to poor Huel Babineau. So at least in her eyes, that was some Atticus Finch type territory. This is not. This is helping a bank get a bigger building. There's no way this is good. So again, back to what the writers are talking about with that conversation on the rooftop. I think both sides have some valid points. He's right that when she gets bored, she likes to get a rush out of what they're doing. The previous episode, we saw her turn down Kevin for this very thing that we see her pulling off now because she got a rush out of doing it and enjoyed it. And they had their little celebratory dinner. So she is not in the, uh, she's not completely in the, on the, on the side of good as Josh would say, I think they're both on the side of the anaconda snakes in some respects. (laughs) Now the last conversation between them in the episode that we see is Kim asking Jimmy about how, Okay, do you still want to be a lawyer? We can start with that. My my question for you is start what? Start to maybe rebuild. Uh, Jimmy says, I messed it all up. And maybe she's just basically saying like, well, if we're going to rebuild anything or if we're going to find a common ground, like the first thing we can do is we can get you reinstated. Let's do that. I can help you do that. We'll start there. We'll see where that goes. You become a lawyer. Maybe we'll still be in. I mean, I think the key element of this is he comes home and he comes home to her. He doesn't go stay in a hotel. He doesn't go post up at the, uh, at the nail salon. He comes home to Kim. So I don't know that they're officially done. So they had a really rough conversation there, but I think that they have a starting point here. And I think that's what the starting point is. We'll get you reinstated as a lawyer. We'll see where we go from there. We have a lot clearly that we have to deal with still. This show has been about expectations a lot in the second season or third, second half of this season and playing with expectations. And we'll talk about that with the Werner storyline, but I think the expectation is, okay, they're done. They're finally done. That's it. They're, they're over. No, we're going to restart again. And the expectation was that Kim would feel bad and that they were going to break up over the incident with Huel. And she said, let's do it again. So here, I think the expectation was that was it. That was their big blow up. They're probably done now. That's why she's not in the breaking bad story. They're going to drift apart. He's going to get worse he's going to become a criminal criminal lawyer no she's going to help him get reinstated and we're going to see where this goes from here so i think because we're at the end of a season that would make an interesting starting point for the next season is where do we find jimmy and kim where do we go from there so i think that's what we're going to start with is jimmy's going to get reinstated as a lawyer the diner conversation rob brought up the fact that his phone clients know him as Saul Goodman. Mm-hmm. Do you think that will be part of the reinstatement process that he's going to officially use the name Saul Goodman at right from the jump here? Well, that's something that we've tried to wrap our heads around for a while with this show. I mean, does that make any difference? I mean, I, you would know a lot better about how this system would work. Would a name change, you know, help the process in any way? At this point, I can now see that it could potentially be part of a larger conversation about him wanting to distance himself from the McGill name. And if he's going to throw himself at the mercy of the committee and show some quote unquote sincerity, what he might say is, look, sincerely, 
I don't miss my brother. I didn't want to talk about my brother because we had a lot of problems between the two of us. He was always a, a feature in my life that was a negative feature. That was a bug that I wanted to root out or he's going to say something to that effect because he has to address it. So his way of addressing it could say, I'm even changing my name. I don't want to be Jimmy McGill anymore. I'm going to use a different name at this point and I'm going to practice law in a different name because I don't want to be connected to the McGill name at all anymore. And I wonder if part of that process, because we have to at some point bring Howard back into this story before the end of the season. And he's in the preview for the the preview. He's in the preview. So I wonder if he gets Howard's sign off or Howard's approval by saying, I'm done with the McGill name. I'm not McGill anymore. What can I do to help you? We see Howard in the preview in what looks like a TV commercial, Rob. So maybe Jimmy helps with that. I don't know. So maybe there's something to, to, to be said for him leaving the McGill name behind for good is part of a larger conversation that he has with the committee about not wanting to be seen as a McGill anymore. And, and that being the reason it didn't come up in his hearing with that smaller board, the recommendation committee, if you want to call them that, uh, I don't know. I think that could be it. That's the first time I felt like that now makes sense. Why some reinstatement board would be like on board with him changing his name and see it as a good thing. This is the first time I felt that way. I, I, I do wonder like, is the drop phone thing going to come up at all it's weird that his interactions with the law enforcement officer that were known to the da is not part of the consideration as to whether he should get reinstated as a lawyer i'm not sure if that shoe is still to drop or if that's just a thread that they've ignored but it's interesting to me that he had interactions with the law enforcement officer they were not good interactions and they're not part of this consideration in any way mm-hmm. right i mean he's sort of on this uh, probationary period of right. uh, being you know trying to keep his nose clean for a year and he has to go and talk to his uh, parole officer or i'm not sure is, is that the correct term the parole officer that he has to go yeah, talk I mean, to if you, yeah. yeah if you want to say a, a probation officer yeah. parole officer i mean they're all state employee whose job it is to maintain and manage a file on a person who either has come out of jail and is reintegrating or who has not served any time yet and has to stick with the program. I think that the incident with the police happened after we saw the montage show that he had finished that up, but it's all a little murky to me. If you're on probation or parole, anytime you have an interaction with a law enforcement officer, you're required to report it. So even if a cop pulls you over, it doesn't ticket you. You're supposed to report it. If you're in a car that gets pulled over and they run your license or something, you're supposed to report it. Like you have to let them know that you had those interactions. And so the only thing I can think is that it ended in the montage uh, with the something stupid montage. I think we saw the drawer, his file getting moved to the closed files drawer. It just the timeliness of all this is a little bit confusing to me because I believe he told the board that he had just finished his parole so or his PPD. So I don't really know how that all plays out, but it's just interesting to me that the DA knew who he was, uh, the ADA. She knew who he was and she knew he had gotten in trouble and yet that didn't come up at all with the board. I wonder if that shoe is still to drop or like I said, if that's just something that they'll let go. It's just uh, that seems like something that could tank him Before we move on from Jimmy and Kim in any way, I'm wondering, do you think there's a possibility? Speaking of threads, we see Kim in this episode do two things that impact Paige from Mesa Verde. The first is that she goes ahead and accomplishes the thing that Paige has told Kevin in a previous episode can't be done and that Kim backed Paige on. Kim does it. Now, Paige will probably recognize if she takes a step back 
that the only way Kim could have pulled that off is through some kind of fraud. In this episode, we see Kim making the return to lawyer presence for Jimmy, painting on his coffee mug, getting the briefcase ready. And she's on a conference call with Mesa Verde. And Kim, Paige is struggling on the call with whoever the other party is. And they're going back and forth. And Kim sort of big times her a little bit. She comes in and she says, hey, listen, guys, like we're already sticking our neck out for us. You're going to have to meet us halfway. She does the move, the pro move. She does the big time move. And it works out like the guys listen to Kim when they weren't listening to Paige. Do you think there is going to be more to come in this finale between Kim and Mesa Verde, specifically Paige? Uh, that's interesting. Um, I, it wasn't on my radar in terms of thinking about what could uh, come. I, I just don't know. What are the stakes if if Kim loses the Mesa Verde account? I mean, she's set up as Schweikert now. So I don't know if that's necessarily like uh, if her livelihood depends on Mesa Verde uh, in the way that it once did being her one client. So uh I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know where, where Mesa Verde uh, uh, comes up in this. I wonder. I mean, she's committed fraud with the with the plans, with uh, changing the plans with Gladys. I mean, I think that's a fraud against a public official. There, those are public documents. So I do wonder if she needs Paige's backing in order to, to, to get her back on that, if that gets found out. Like I said, Paige will recognize. She's the one person besides Jimmy who knows about the fraud who will recognize, I guess Kevin will know that it got done, but Kevin won't know that it was probably impossible to get that done without really gaming the system a little bit. And so if Paige knows that, I mean, we have what, I, what we haven't had and why I feel like it, it couldn't happen is we haven't seen like a simmering story throughout the season of uh, some kind of barrier forming between Kim and Paige. We have seen some, some issues between the two of them in the past where Kim has confronted him. She dropped the ball early in the season and Paige said, never let this happen again. But then as you're pointing out, she went in house at Schweikert. Everything seems to be going great with Mesa Verde since then that hasn't come back up. I just feel like Paige would know she would know that the only way to get that done is through pulling some strings. And so I think she's in a position to know that Kim might've pulled something funny there. Uh, and I just wonder if she's going to go to bat for, for Kim or not. Uh, and I wonder if she feels like Kim has her back or Kim is sort of big timing her. She's the one who brought Kim into this and they were friends but i just i don't know where this goes from here i think it could still come into the situation i think we've seen it happen enough where she's had to either get pages back or she and page have had these interactions right. enough that it could happen what might be interesting and we saw in the conversation that uh jimmy and kim had where she said you know you're always down uh talking about when uh he had talked was uh describing uh when uh, she would come and see and see him and they would uh, work together on things. But we've never really seen a situation in four seasons of the show where Kim is the one who uh, needs Jimmy to spring her out of the jam. Uh, unless there's something that uh, I'm not remembering from these uh, four seasons of the show where it might be interesting where if uh, Kim is busted in some way, if then, uh, you know, the shoe is on the other foot and they need some sort of Jimmy magic to help Kim out with something with Mesa Verde. Yeah. I mean, 
what was I thought a great callback in this episode right before that comment about how you're always down. Uh, Jimmy rants about how she sees him. Kim sees Jimmy as the kind of lawyer that guilty people hire, which is something that the Kettleman said to him at the very beginning of the series Mm -hmm. when they were trying to graciously let him down as to why they weren't hiring him. And so that clearly has stuck in his crawl the whole time. Like that is clearly the put down. He didn't want to hear and he felt that that was a judgment of his character. And that's something that he's kept with him. Kim is guilty. I wonder, maybe she needs to hire Jimmy McGill. Like maybe that could be what happens here. Um, if you're saying that as a possibility, the only other time where we've seen Kim in the weeds is when Howard stuck her in doc review and moved her office because she lost the Kettleman's in season one. And what we saw, it, that's what got Mesa Verde. That's what happened is Kim pulled her own way out. She did not want Jimmy's help. She didn't want Jimmy to help her. And she didn't want that to, to play out that way. She refused it. And she made those calls. There's a montage of her taking all the calls in the, the stairwell and doing her best to pull herself out at, at HHM. Then when she gets Mesa Verde, Howard will not let her back to her regular position. And that leads to a long thing where ultimately Jimmy does pull the number switch because he wants Mesa Verde to come back to Kim. And that isn't a time where she asked Jimmy to do it. He just did it, but she was happy enough to benefit from it. Mm-hmm. She didn't have, she never said, I don't want the clients that way. That's the lady Macbeth moment where she says like, I would go cross my eye across my T's and dot my eyes. If I had your brother facing off against me, she's okay with benefiting from his action when it comes to getting Mesa Verde back from her. She's never, I don't think, overtly asked him for help in that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly she asked him for help with the the stunt at the beginning of this episode, but I don't think she's ever been in the weeds and and asked him for his help. We've seen her, him offer the help and her refuse it. We've seen him give the help without her asking and her take it, but I don't think we've ever seen her really need Jimmy. And I think you're really... That's a sharp observation to say, maybe we'll see the shoe on the other foot at this point. And it'd be a a really good story for the two of them, considering where we've seen them throughout the course of this season, for sure. Okay. Uh, In the finale, do you think that the storyline is mostly about Jimmy trying to be reinstated? Between the two of them, yes. I think we're gonna, we're gonna draw clear, little clear circles around a couple of these other threads. But between the two of them, I think that that's what will happen. I think he will get reinstated. And I think once he gets reinstated, they'll be left with what now? What's next? And I think that'll be a major part of it. And then if you're, if you're saying there could be a twist of the knife, I think something happening with Kim and Mesa Verde could be the twist of the knife. If you want to say that that happens in the latter part of that story to drive the storytelling for the next season, that could be what happens is Kim gets caught out page knows and we need to figure out what happens next so that I think is the possibility for the finale between the two of them for sure All right, anything else with Jimmy and Kim going into the finale no you hit that line that the most significant line I think maybe between their entire relationship and maybe about Jimmy McGill overall as a person is you're always down uh, that was such a heartbreaking line and so accurate in many respects and I think Jimmy knows it's accurate and it isn't just before it isn't just what happened with Chuck it's before that it's that's a that's a, a fundamental like Jimmy McGill core line there uh, and the way that that shot ended with the over there over 
overhead shot of Jimmy on that roof of that parking garage with his car parked haphazardly and seeing the building behind him. Fantastic shot. Just a really great scene uh, that I think it's, it's tough to come back from that. You're going to have to have a lot of work of repair done to repair that fundamental thing. And I'm not sure Jimmy McGill will. He goes and becomes Saul Goodman. I'm not sure he's going to really respond to that line well. So I thought that was really, really good. Um, speaking of really good, Rob, how good is Lalo? How good is this guy that plays Lalo? This is a fantastic, he might be my favorite new Better Call Saul character between the, in the Breaking Bad universe at this point. Well, he really reminds me, I don't know if anybody else has uh, made this observation, but uh, he feels like the Red Viper coming in in season four of uh, Game of Thrones and not to do any uh, Game of Thrones spoilers here, but I, I feel like it's a, it's a similar vibe. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I think that some of the seamlessness is with the actors. Uh, Pedro Pascal, who plays the Red Viper, is this kind of guy who can slip between uh, many different types of roles. And the fact that the guy who plays Lalo is able to just switch between uh, Tony Dalton is his name. I think he's uh, an actor uh, who is is a Mexican actor and he's notable as a Mexican actor and they specifically sought to cast a Mexican actor. I think his only other English language role was in sense eight of the Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is his second English language role, but the seamlessness that he switches back and forth between the English and the Spanish, I think is matched by the seamlessness of his attitude, the way he switches back and forth uh, in terms of he's sunny one moment and he's dark the next. He's threatening one moment and he's happy the next. Uh, this guy's doing a really good job of playing that. And I think you've got that with the Red Viper. He was He's ready to kill one moment and he's charming the next. There's, there's this charm, but underneath the charm, the charm is like a veneer and underneath that is this layer of like violence just lurking under the surface. So we get the backstory of how Hector got his bell and uh, it's quite similar to how I got my bell, a very uh, similar, <laughs> similar backstory. I knew it. I knew you burned down a hotel when you got your first bell, Rob. Yeah, mm-hmm. I knew this. I knew this. Does it smell like a uh, burnt leather and horse hide? Yes. Yes. Oh, always. Fantastic. <laughs> I wondered what you, I always wondered what a Rob Sesternino bell smells like. Authentic uh, idle leather. I think authentic bell leather. Yeah. So this is a, uh, this is, I thought that was, yeah, I knew you, I always knew you burned down a hotel. I always knew there was some professor that you had a beef with that you, expunged so he we we see lalo have a a one-on-one uh with with hector and uh that he ends up uh you know he dismisses dismisses nacho and wants to uh talk with hector and he comes back he wants to have a conversation about the chilean and then uh he tells nacho a classic hector just wants to go and kill everybody just wants to go kill everybody that that means it seems like he wants to kill gus like uh that's the chilean in question here i'm assuming so, i mean I, yeah, I don't know if, if it is. Uh, that gus has been described as the chilean before it it's something where we know that that's part of his backstory i think that it maybe is a is, is a something that we've seen maybe once or twice it's not something that he's commonly called but i think it's something that the salamancas might call him mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely gus that he's talking about uh i i just that that scene was great i don't know i'm wondering how much lalo does or does not trust nacho because he he, he lets nacho witness that that backstory about hector killing that professor and burning that hotel tell down and and where the bell came from 
And then he ends it by looking at Nacho and saying, Hey, why don't you go get some jello? Like, it's just such a great switch, not only to English, but a switch in terms of his attitude. Uh, he's pumped Hector Salamanca up and really appealed to like the dark, f- depraved, like sociopath in him or psychopath, as it were. And then he says, Hey, why don't you go get some jello to Nacho? It's just like so dark. Mm-hmm. And then he comes out and says, like, Hey, same old Hector just wants to kill everybody. And we see this throughout. Like, he goes, they, they go and they meet, they, they go and they eat Los Pollos Hermanos. And Gus's number one loyal employee is there and tells him, I think some of those guys are here again. They go out and Lalo is just so nice to Gus. Like, oh, your chicken is so good. Oh, I want to eat it. And then we have this scene with Lalo and Gus in Gus's office. What the heck's going on in this scene, Rob? And there's just some mind games happening here. Yeah, definitely where he's talking about how, you know, oh, we really, we owe you a debt of gratitude because we heard how uh, you saved Hector. And then, uh, they, you know, he's uh, calling out how uh, Don Eladio uh, would love to see us, uh, you know, uh, fighting with one another. And he does about making a, uh, oh, we should make a move against Don Eladio. And then, haha, messing with you. That would be crazy if we uh, did something like that but we know uh that hector would like to see something bad happen to gus uh it's interesting where this is going to go. I'm what I am wondering, do we think that there will be some sort of a move that Lalo is going to make against Gus coming up and will Nacho have to tip off Gus? That, and I wonder how he could even do that. Like that's the the part that I'm wondering about is what what ability Nacho even has to communicate with Gus and how does that work? Because he, it seems like Lalo wants to make a move against Gus uh, in some way. I don't know if it's a very aggressive move or if it's a, if it's a show of force, if he's just going to say like, you know, we get six a week, now it's eight. And that's just going to be the new rules under the Salamanca crew. We got medical bills to pay for Hector. We certainly appreciate everything you've done, but we have to eat at this point. Our organization has suffered without him here. So now we need eight a week and that's that and I, I so I wonder if he's going to try to make a power move I mean we saw a power move from him in this episode where he throws his drink cup in the lot at Los Pollos Hermanos a, a true power move Rob just littering right in Gus's Gus lot. hates litter Gus hates litter. He's going to be right, right out there to pick that up. This is rough. So I think he, he wants to see where this is going. I mean, I don't think he wants to see where those drugs are going because he wants to do nothing. So clearly he's going to take some kind of action, whether or not that puts Nacho in a tough spot. That certainly seems to be something that we have had brewing. Is it possible? I, we have the, the, the thread we've been tracing for Nacho throughout this season and the heat is off of it a little bit, but the thread we were tracing is that Nacho could die that nacho i mean he almost died this mm-hmm. season we know he's got the canadian ids for he and papa is it possible that nacho does not make it out of the finale or, or, or have we not set that up enough at this point uh, it would feel like a bit of a senseless death for nacho to die at this point i i just think that nacho is really caught in this tug of war where gus owns him and the salamancas own him and then uh, we've uh, seen uh, this uh, situation with his family and he wants to uh, do what's right for his dad but uh this could be a, a really tough spot for him if he knows something bad is coming for gus we saw gus shoot him that look at uh, 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 Los Pollos Hermanos when he's like why did you you know bring this guy here and he's like I, right. I, I didn't know we yeah. were coming you know I uh, have nothing to do with this yeah, don't right. look at me so, right I just don't know I don't know that we've done enough at this point where I would be earned in this finale I, the, the season 
felt like at times we were telling the story of Nacho not being able to get out and, and ending up in the crosshairs. But I feel like now we just brought Lalo in at the 11th hour. And if he's a casualty of something between the Salamancas and Gus at this point, it just feels like we could have done better for that character. And maybe one episode isn't enough to set up uh, the, the, the pull that he might feel one direction or another. I think what we might do, uh, Lalo clearly is a guy that they're going to maybe want to do more with. And we know that he may play a better, a bigger role in the better call Saul universe as a whole, and maybe even with regard to Ignacio. So I think we could see more uh, between the two of these people where you're right. There's probably a lot more grist between uh, got between not with Nacho being caught between these two people who are at odds rather than one big incident next episode where it all blows up. Yeah. And I think that the ultimate goal with Nacho is going to be, I, I think he has to attempt to get out. I mean, we've laid that track of, we see his IDs and I, I do think that thematically the central idea in between Walter White and uh, Jimmy McGill and Nacho is there is no way out. I think that that, is ultimately the the problem you can get in uh like the hotel california uh you can never leave this universe right and we're seeing that with regard to gene like even the guy who got out quote unquote is in a position where he's looking over his shoulder every time he can't even take a cab home without freaking out and worrying that the guy he took the cab from is there to kill him and maybe the guy is there to kill him so he is not in a good position and he's the guy who quote unquote got out so how is nacho gonna make that look differently and that's why i always said like we don't want to revisit what happens with breaking bad because i don't think the stories end well for the characters that we're, we we leave on a quote unquote high note. So I think we're we're seeing that play out with Gene, and I think you're right. We see it play out cyclically speaking with a lot of these other characters. Uh, and somebody should have told that to Werner, Rob. Like somebody should have told <laughs> Werner, like, listen, this doesn't end well for you. Yeah. Uh, just one last thing on Nacho. I wonder maybe if we see Nacho go back to Papa in this next episode and say, Dad, we have to go. It's time to leave. And and I think that. Papa will be resistant. I, why am I, why my business is here, son? Why do I have to go anywhere? I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to leave. It'll be fine. Like if it happens, it happens. Yeah. You could absolutely foresee that conversation where Nacho is so shook by something he hears about Lalo planning that he wants to just turn tail and leave and Papa won't let him. So I, we'll see. We'll see. We've seen disappointed fathers in this uh, series. Uh, if you want to consider breaking bad part of the series for sure. Um, we've seen fathers let down. Uh, we've seen plane crashes. Uh, so, mm-hmm. Uh, we could see Papa in a similar situation where if he says, no, we're not leaving. And then something bad happens to Nacho. Um, maybe another plane, maybe someone's upholstery is going to fall off of their car and cause a massive wreck on the highway. <laughs> so let's get into everything going on with, uh, with Vanner and self eviction, self eviction. Now the episode oh is called, uh, Vida Zane. Am I pronouncing yes. that correctly? Vida Zane. Yeah, okay. I think so. What do I know? Uh, that's what's written on the rock, but it's also, uh, presumably, uh, what Vanner is saying as he is, uh, checking out of the compound for now uh for now he can check out any time but he can never leave so yeah not great uh i think vitor saying also maybe means just like see you soon or see you again um so i don't know if we're gonna see the rock again but i have a feeling we're gonna see <laughs> what about dwayne johnson again. 
Well, what a cameo that would be. What a get that would be for AMC. That would be huge for them. Um, I don't, I don't know what he would, is he going to be another Salamanca enforcer, Rob? Yeah. I mean, he kind of looks like the cousins. Yeah. He's like the, he's like the giant jacked up version of the cousins that could play <laughs> bald head, darker skin. Yeah. Muscle guy. This could work. This could work. <laughs> well, I, well let's, let's not go uh, down this uh, <laughs> road doing rock impressions and uh, dropping the people's elbow on Gus or what's going to happen. You smell what the chicken man is cooking, right? Yeah, this is no good. Yeah, but you know, I, 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 would, I enjoy this story. I, I like everything going on with the Germans. I was surprised Alan, Alan Seppenwall uh, said that uh, he felt like that this was more filler here for the second half of the season for Mike. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't see that. He said that. But I, I too, have liked it a lot. Uh, and I've liked it. It hasn't always like we've said it. It's defied my expectations to a point. It certainly did in this episode. I thought first that Werner might die uh, with a mistaken blast because of Kai's like irresponsibility with the blasting stuff. And I thought that might cause a major problem for the project and a major headache and a major anger blast from Mike. That didn't happen. That scene was shot and presented in the acting in such a way that I was so nervous in that scene. And yet Werner escapes and the rock is blown up and everyone's happy. Right. Mm -hmm. Then I thought Werner gets back and he sees everybody cheerfully celebrating that that happened. And he's all bummed out. And he talks to Mike. Maybe I could go just for one weekend and Kai could supervise. By the way, Rob, that was Werner's biggest mistake here. Right. He should never have recommended to Mike that Kai be the supervisor. (laughs) Yeah. Pick a different guy. Read your read your audience here. Like know who you're talking to. This is never going to fly. So that was not good. That was not good. But then there's that, that really almost tender touching moment where the music is playing and Werner is, is wandering around the compound, just looking up at the cameras and looking at the people playing uh, soccer or whatever they're doing. Casing the joint. Pacing. He, he, now that's what he was doing. But at the time I thought he's going to take his own life. Mm. Like he's so bummed out. He reached it. He saw his own mortality in that room with the rock and not, not Dwayne Johnson. And he is going to go back into this, uh, this room and he's going to take his own life. And later when they said there was a voltage spike, I thought, Oh no, like he electrocuted himself. Mm -hmm. This is horrible. Stuck a fork in his socket. He's done. This is a horrible thing. Mike is going to carry this guilt around with him. This is going to drive him further into the darkness. He's probably going to take it out on Kai. This is going to spiral horribly. I did. And I probably should not say I did not see that coming with the German guy escaping. I did not see that coming. So Mike finds a letter on the bed. We don't find out what the letter said. Uh, Was the letter to Mike of here's why I've done what I've done? Or is this the instructions uh, for the guys on how to complete the job? I think that there seemed to be some plans there, right? Some drawings, some sketches. So there was probably some of that, but it had to be a letter to Mike, I would think. I mean, Werner has to see this as a personal violation. Like he had built somewhat of a relationship with Michael, as he puts it. And Mike's mistake was, was, was seeing the humanity in Werner and not treating him as a drone, as a worker, as somebody who was getting paid. That's what the money is for. Mike gave in to seeing the sympathy and the humanity in Werner. He let him talk to his wife too much. He let him focus too much on what he wasn't doing and focus too much on things outside of the task instead of just focusing on the task. He didn't really give him enough of the stick. He gave him a little bit of a pep talk this week. Clearly didn't work, by the way. 
where he said, put your head down, Werner, just you're, you're going to have so much money, you'll never have to be apart. Like that didn't work. And his his sin in this in this instance, and we see it happening where the guys are like watching Werner talk to his wife and listening in. And Mike's like, let him talk as long as he wants. You know, like that's the problem is he gave Werner too much and Werner took advantage of it. So this is a personal affront for sure. But it's also a professional one. And it's a professional one that is a bad problem for Mike because Gus Fring is not a guy who fools around. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is potentially Mike's ass. Like this is potentially Mike dying. uh, If Werner is out there as a loose end against Gus Fring, having seen his face and knowing about the operation, uh, this is a major, major loose end for, 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 for Gus. And that is going to be taken out on Mike at the end of the day. This is Mike letting Gus down by Werner letting Mike down. I think, probably Werner knows some of that. I don't know if he knows how bad that is or how seriously Mike will take it, but I think that letter had to be for Michael for sure. So what do you think we see in the finale? Is this Mike now has to go and hunt down a uh, Werner or is this now does Mike need to uh, oversee the job with Kai who he's been at odds with? Well, what do you think? I think that Mike has to go track Werner down. I mean, and he's going to kill like Werner. Said, yeah, he's got to kill Werner. Like this is this is brutal, but he has to. Like he has to do it, and he has to do it to show Gus Fring that that he shouldn't be killed at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I think that he has to do this to show Gus Fring he's a serious man uh, who will behave seriously and understands this is a serious matter. I think if he lets Werner skate in any way, he's risking his own life. But can they finish the job without Werner? Well, was how finished was the lab four years later? That's the ultimate question. And can they finish the job without Werner? We only saw one other applicant who was turned down in some respect because he was using the same tool that Werner ultimately used to fry the cameras and escape, right? The laser pointer measuring thing. So I don't know if we bring that guy back. If we bring another guy back, we didn't see any other applicants. If Kai becomes a longer running guy that Mike just has to get along with, does Mike have to, because he kills Werner, kill all of the Germans? I don't know the answers to this, but I think that at the very least in this finale, we're going to see Mike having to make the call and probably pull the trigger himself on Werner. It's just, it's interesting because we have a uh, Werner who has his problems. And then also we have Kai who has his problems. And so uh, I don't know what that looks like. If you end, I mean, do we end up killing uh, Mike has to kill Werner. And then that is like, we see Mike have to, uh, you know, uh, go further into the underworld after uh, completing that assignment. And then is next season about sort of the uh, feud between Kai and Mike in terms of getting the job completed. We talk about filler. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. We've set up a lot. I mean, we even had like, they they go out of their way. Like even in this episode, the guys who are watching on the screen, they're watching them play volleyball and they say that guy, Kai cheats. It's like, how many more character notes do we need about Kai being a guy that Mike wouldn't like? Kai is bad news. So I don't know if killing Verna is, is an option. 
Well, I mean, it's not an option if this is your only crew, uh, but you could always just wipe out the whole crew and start again. And that would make the line that Mike says to Walter interesting and breaking bad about how you just can't kill 11 guys to cover up one mistake or whatever. Uh, so I think that would be an interesting connection if that is something Mike has done in the past uh, to cover up one mistake that Mike made. Uh, other mistakes Mike made here. And I, I just I think it's undoable. It's, it, the, the, the breach is done like Werner does not come back to this job there's no chance in hell in my mind that Werner gets a second chance with Mike Ehrmantraut after this the only question I have is does Werner get away or does Mike kill him and I think the answer to this is Mike is Batman Mike kills him like Mike will find Werner no matter where he is but are we seeing Mike go to Germany in this episode we might. Did Werner make it to Germany is the question. Like he, how long has he had and what is, does he have his passport? Did Mike take that from him? Is he going to be able to get away? Like, I don't know the details about all of that, but we already saw Mike go interstate to commit crimes and breaking bad. It wouldn't shock me uh, if we saw, I don't know how Mike would get a gun in Germany. That would be an interesting subplot. I don't think we're going to do it in one episode. I don't think Werner made it out. Like, I think he's still in the U S he didn't really think through this plan and he's going to get got by Mike in New Mexico somewhere okay uh we'll, we'll see but i i've enjoyed these uh storyline uh with the germans i it's been unpredictable i i haven't been able to i, I didn't know where it was going in this episode uh you didn't either so uh i think it's been interesting right me too i i've liked it and I like seeing the, the, the side of Mike Ehrmantraut that the storyline has showed. I like seeing the scenes. Uh, even in this episode, we had Mike or we, we've heard Mike talk about being married. We never really heard Mike talk about being married before. We saw him briefly and in Blinken, you'll miss it, wearing a wedding ring in the flashback scene that we saw earlier this season of him building that carport with his son. But we never I mean, we don't know a lot about what Mike's relationship was like with his wife or who that wife was or what really happened to her or what the deal we don't know any of these things and part of the problem is you can't really tell a flashback with jonathan banks rob uh because we can't really de-age the guy like i I said long ago (laughs) it might help him to sit in that warehouse and underground in that mine for a few years because the son's not doing him any favors at this point so he needs to part ways with the son i know i've said that and i agree with it so uh i'm sure i agree with it i said it but at any rate i i really feel like what we have seen from mike in this storyline is valuable and it showed us a side of Mike Herman Trout we haven't seen. There have been that moments like that throughout the season that really aren't connected unless you start to sit down and think about what have they done with Mike this season. We saw him at the therapy meeting calling out, uh, calling out the, the, the guy who was lying. You know, we, we've seen Mark, poor Mark Evan Jackson. Like we've seen this all play out with Mike over the course of this season. The larger story has been, it's not great with Mike. He's not a happy guy. He's got very few things in his life that give him joy. Kaylee's just about it. He's trying to do right by her, but he's cranky and he's angry and he's now wrapped up with this killer and this this drug cartel guy uh, who, if he screws up with this, this guy could kill him. And it seemed like earlier in the season, Mike was ready to go. Mike was basically saying, like, you know, you brought me here. If you wanted to kill me, you would have killed me. So make your offer and make your ask. What is it? Like, you know, he asked him to set this job up. But Mike has been at the end of his rope for a long time. And the story that we had to tell with Mike Ehrmantraut, as we've talked about, is how do you get the guy from half measures and maybe wanting to take innocent, quote unquote, people and being willing to kill those people, which he is in Breaking Bad. So Werner. 
other than the fact that he was building a meth super lab for a drug kingpin is an innocent guy. So I know that's a lot to make a guy not innocent, but on the other hand, he's not really done anything overtly harmful or criminal. He's not hurt anyone in Mike's immediate vicinity. And all he's done in this instance is flew the coop. Uh, the chicken is out of the coop, Rob. So the chicken has flown the coop. The chicken has flown the coop. So at the end of the day, what we've got is the story for this. Gus makes delicious chicken. Gus makes delicious chicken. It's crunchy on the outside, not dry on the inside. I don't know how he does it. The spices are great. We ultimately are telling a story of Mike Ehrman Trout uh, getting to the point where he's so dead inside that he's willing to make other people dead inside who are not directly involved in these things. And I think Werner is a perfect flashpoint for that. And what we've seen develop with this story is a perfect flashpoint for that. And it's going to be hard. Mike's going to feel personally violated because they had built a little bit of a personal bond, but this isn't a bad guy. His only crime is Mike not letting him see his wife like that's not really a crime um mike should have probably brought his wife there i don't know why that didn't happen why didn't he bring her to a hotel in albuquerque somewhere like, oh, why no. isn't this, Can't you know, why do isn't this set up yeah come on mike like i have a little decency for christ's sake like i don't understand why this didn't happen his only crime Werner's only crime is mike's mistakes and uh, I think that, in I, mike's defense I'm, I'm not sure gus would have been on board with that Maybe not, but Gus would have been, it seems like what Gus was on board with was whatever Mike needed to do. So R&R was okay, getting these guys out and letting them party was okay, but not letting the guy see his wife wasn't okay? I mean, I don't know. Why didn't, why is Gus not okay with a, with a two-week break? Like, why does this have to just be a slog and a grind? Like, why aren't these guys getting arrested and coming back? I don't, I don't, why can't they do that? They know where the lab is going to be, like, so when they leave, they're going to know where the lab is anyway. I, I don't know. Maybe the guy can't be trusted to that expect or to that uh to that aspect but certainly Werner could be like these guys don't have to be working they can take a two-week break and just chill out in that house while Werner goes on holidays with his wife i don't understand the why it needed to be this way um and Werner's sin is is violating that pact that really is not the most tenable pact but again it's a suitcase thing that's what the money's for i get it but it's just a little rough i don't know i feel bad for Werner because it's curtains for Werner in my opinion okay so you think Werner is dead at the end of of uh, this week's episode. If we're doing a death draft, I'm taking Werner's my number one pick with a bullet. What from about Mike's Kai? Guy. Kai is a, is a good shout. I mean, once you take Werner out, the other question is, are any of those guys even going to want to work on the job anymore? You killed our boss. If they know about it, you made him disappear. I, I don't think those guys are going to want to work anymore. Kai is going to raise the biggest stink about it. I, I, they don't, I Kai doesn't seem I, it seems like Kai might be the kind of guy you know how this show does it they're going to want to just continue using this guy so they might want to keep him around for a little while but I, I wouldn't say that Kai is uh, he's got he's not got plot armor he's not safe for making it in the next season and that being said you know the super lab is uh, still not open for business I mean that uh, in the Breaking Bad timeline it is uh, I, I were we waiting for a cook that could come in and use the super lab or did it only get finished at the point of the uh, season three of Breaking Bad? That seems to be a big debate on the Better Call Saul Reddit right now. Uh, people not really being sure one way or the other how much Gail may or may not have used the lab. We saw Walter unpacking a lot of equipment, but some of that equipment was what Walter specifically needed to do what Walter needed to do. Mm-hmm. And his cook was obviously superior to Gail's. We knew that coming in. That was why Gus wanted to do business with Walter, is that he was making such a better product than Gail. Uh, but we've already seen Gail now on this show, and Gus basically said, 
saying like, no, no, I don't want you to make a batch of, you know, meth for me in your lab here. I want to wait. Like there's something better for you. So I could foresee a circumstance where the lab gets open in some capacity and Gail is working there uh, as, as a cook in a smaller capacity before Walter shows up and really wants to take it galactic and, and really go significantly huge with it. That, that seems to be what we see in breaking bad is Walter's own specs being put into play. But I don't think that means the lab was never used before Walter walked in there. And does Gail have the blueprint of the equipment that needs to be put into the lab? Like, I don't know if does Gus necessarily know exactly uh, the machinery that needs to get purchased down there. Gail would probably know how to do it to Gail's specifications, right? And mm. the best way to do it for Gail. But clearly that wasn't the case with Walter. So what we see with Walter is a lot of new equipment for Walter's cook. But like I said, I don't think that necessarily means that Gail never used the lab before. That said, this thing's clearly not close to being done. I mean, they just blasted that last rock out, but there's so much more work to be done on this thing that, yeah, this crew is not finishing this in a couple of weeks. They're maybe halfway through, as Werner said, and I think that's accurate. And they don't want to be they don't want to be over. I guess Werner's other crime was being the idiot who decided that this job would take a lot shorter than it did. Uh, he really screwed up his timeline on this, and that seems to have put everybody in a bind, including and not limited to Werner himself. So he's at least not not guilty in this regard but that's a that's a that's a simple mistake i mean i don't think the guy should die for that but now he's definitely going to die for doing what he did so r.i.p Werner for sure maybe r.i.p kai maybe r.i.p nacho although i would be more surprised by that i think somebody's going to emergency and somebody's going to jail regardless and i think the jail part could be kim that's the that's my big call for this finale is something's going to happen with kim and mesa verde that flips the script a little bit uh and surprises us Wow. I mean, that would be a big blindside. But I think if you think if you think back to it, what we talked about in this podcast here, I don't think it would be unseated. I think the fact that she has stuck her neck out the way that she has and the fact that she's got a an, an unknowledgeable co-conspirator in, who was another lawyer in page who already has on record saying that that thing couldn't be done. And now when it gets done, if she looks into it at all, she'll be able to discover that it, it wasn't accurate or wasn't it wasn't on board. And the question is, what happens then? And and maybe that's not something we'll satisfy or maybe that's not a question that they're interested in giving Paige the agency to answer. But I certainly believe that they've written Paige as a character in her position as having the agency to answer that. So it remains to be seen whether we'll see that result in the finale. But I do think that we're, we're going to see something to that effect. I really do. Do Venner and Nacho and Papa end up at the bus terminal together? That would be pretty good, right? Like, that would be a fun scene. Uh, we see the three of them, Verna just stumbling, shambling along in the background, and uh, Nacho and Papa trying to duck their heads down. This would be good. Uh, maybe they, maybe, yeah, maybe they're like two ships passing in the night. Maybe they help each other out. Maybe they all go to Cushada Rock. <laughs> it's a small world after all. <laughs> <laughs> we've got Germans here. We've got everybody that's ready to ride this ride. Now we're all going to Cushada. Just strap yourselves in. Okay. Antonio, anything else that you want to uh, talk about before we get into the finale? 
I'm I'm just hyped, Rob. Do you have any predictions that you want to put on the board in any way, similar to my Mesa Verde biting Kim in the ass in some way prediction? Uh, no, I, I've just I've really enjoyed the back half of the season. I know that we, uh, you know, at one point got to like the uh, where is this going after, uh, you know, uh, three or four episodes into this season. But I, I've really enjoyed the, the pacing of uh, the back half of the season. It's a, it's a different show, right? It's not a show that takes 10 episodes and starts a story in episode one and then clearly builds it. It builds it with the characters and we take these characters in different directions. And when we look back at what they're doing, their arcs sometimes go over the course of multiple seasons or multiple TV shows. And so we have these like what seem like vignettes at a time. And if you look back at season one, Sandpiper doesn't come up until the last couple of episodes. And it's a big story in those last couple of episodes. And then everything that happens with Sandpiper and the problems that it causes Jimmy and Chuck and everything that happens at Davis and Maine is a large part of season two, but that was just a two episode story in season one. So this is a show that does that, right? This is a show that introduces a story and then plays it over the course of multiple seasons sometimes or teases an arc or, or does a, a couple of episode thing. Like we saw with the Huel Babineau uh, where we had the incident with Huel and then we had a cliffhanger and then we saw it followed up on. So I, I do like the pacing as well. We seem to have these, these capers that come up or these stories that are connected over the course of a couple of episodes rather than maybe a season long thing. In some cases, I think in the past that has hurt Better Call Saul, where they've done a lot of bricklaying. Uh, but I think at this point, they've built buildings out of those bricks uh, that really pay off. So anything that happens with Jimmy now, I'm remembering the Jimmy McGill that was upset earlier this season. I'm also remembering him on the streets selling the phones. But I'm I, I'm still remembering everything that happened with Jimmy and Chuck. And that's why he's carrying all this around. So they're, they get the benefit from everything they've put in place already. And they're they're... I mean, that's why these shows are so good with Breaking Bad and Better Calls. Although they're fully cognizant of what has happened with these characters and telling those multi-season uh, character arc stories in a way that doesn't make the characters feel stale um, and it makes it feel unexpected. And I think, if anything, we've certainly seen that in the second half of the season. I did not expect that committee to tell Jimmy no. Uh, even when Jimmy was in the meeting, the only time it ever really seemed like it could be a problem for me was when that last question was asked about, was there any influence on your views just felt like by this point it was established repeated and then and another way of asking the question and then didn't get he didn't say chuck so that felt like we could we had we could have a problem but if you asked me before the episode is jimmy not going to make it through i would have never said that so here we are uh we'll probably be wrong about everything we said for the finale and we'll be happy that we're wrong let me give you a couple of quick rapid fire questions uh is jimmy reinstated at the end of uh, this uh, finale I say yes as Saul Goodman, but that probably means that he won't be and he'll still be Jimmy McGill. <sighs> I, uh, maybe not. Maybe, maybe more time away from being a lawyer and then he gets uh, further. Maybe there's another you know, uh, flip phone type thing that he ends up getting involved in. And uh, that's what ultimately leads him uh, further down the uh, dark path. Interesting story I'm sure they could tell, right, is... They combine, they use their superpowers and it doesn't work. 
And for whatever reason, Kim ends up worse for wear, whether it's Mesa Verde or otherwise, as a result of the things she's done with Jimmy. And Jimmy isn't a lawyer. Uh, and so they're both down in the mud. Like that is a, a possible track for them to go for sure. So I could see it going either way. I think we're probably going to get into Jimmy being Saul Goodman as a lawyer, uh, because I think the pacing of the, sh- the show will pick up uh, in that respect. We've already seen that bridge being crossed. I think it's time to, to cross that bridge even more here. And so I think that's what we'll see. Um, what else? What other questions? Do we return to the Gene timeline in a supersized season four finale? I would love to get back into the gene pool. Uh, I, I told you that's the, that's the, we have to go back moment, right? That's the through the looking glass or whatever you want to call it moment uh, where the show, the reality of the show changes when you could have a different a gene scene outside of the finale. I have not read uh, what people are saying. I'm sure critics have already seen the finale. I have not read what they're saying. I gotta feel like if that was the case, these self these like these self involved critics who are always complaining about how they can't get their screeners to work, or they they just love bragging when they've seen a good show in advance, or when an episode's particularly good. I gotta feel like one of them would have been like, "Oh man, don't miss this next Better Call Saul. The first five minutes are gonna blow your mind." Or maybe not that overt, but one of them would have tipped it. They can't help themselves. Okay. So you say no. I say no. Yeah, I say probably not as well. And then I want it to be yes, but I I think it's a no. Will we have a another? I'll say you know uh, I don't want to say major, but a uh, will we have any a, another important character introduction into the Better Call Saul universe of a, a Breaking Bad character? Ooh, I'm trying to think of who might be left on the board. I mean, we could see, yeah, I mean, we could see, uh, we could see an Aaron Paul. We could see some, someone like that come into the story. Uh, that's a possibility. I don't think so, but uh, it's possible. Uh, the, the idea would be that they've maybe signed on one of them as a series regular starting next year or as somebody they're going to use more often. I don't think we'll do just a, a quick cameo in the finale. I think we have too many uh, masters to serve in this finale with the stories we've got set in place. But if you're telling me that as part of this larger story, we're going to bring somebody in, uh, that could be possible for sure. I, I don't know why we can't see Dean Norris uh, involved in this storyline. That could come. We've talked about this. I think that that comes when there is a more major incident between the, the Salamancas and whatever's happening with Gus. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if it were to have happened, it should have happened after the Salamancas wiped out that entire crew and like 18 to 20 people were killed and they ran back to Mexico to lay low. It should have Lalo. happened then. Yeah, Lalo to Lalo, not Lalo. My apologies. Uh, it should have happened then. It should have mm-hmm. happened then. Gomi should have come into the play, could have come into play then. The DEA could have come into the story then. Uh, there has been talk and there's been at least whispers of the DEA with regard to that story from the characters within the story. So that was certainly the, the opportunity for that to have happened. We've time jumped like 11 months now. So unless we find out, we pull back the curtain and find out the DEA is tailing someone involved in one of these cases uh, or maybe Lalo is working for the DEA as some kind of secret uh, second or second agent or double agent, or maybe um, Emilio or, or someone to that effect is working at that point. We, we pull back the curtain and see that Um, that's a possibility, but otherwise I just feel like that should have already happened. And I think it will happen when there's something more major that happens possibly in the finale uh, will be the beginning of that uh, starting next season. 
Yeah. I think we could see a scene. I think we could see like, uh, you know, a Hank and Gomi pull up or something like that. They're like, oh boy, this is a, a real mess or something like that. You know, uh, just like, um, I feel like that we've gotten that a little bit, uh, you know, here and there, like the end of the season, yeah. like, uh, the we, back. yeah, right. the fring is back and, uh, stuff like that. So, uh, I feel like that, you know, uh, big finale, I, I think it could happen. I think that's a good, it's a good call. I think it should have happened already, but maybe they wanted to save it for the big finale. So it's a good call. I think it definitely could happen. It wouldn't shock me. I think you're, you're right to suggest that it might. So that would be great. It would be fun. It would be a fun way to set up the potential excitement for season five and when that all comes in and how they're going to play that out. Uh, but I, I just don't, I feel like it should have, I feel like we were wanting that to happen earlier and the, the, the time that it made the most sense for it to happen was earlier, but maybe it's been happening in the background, Robin. We, we don't even know it, or maybe there's something major that happens this episode that is too much. So it's possible. I, I would, I wouldn't mind seeing it. Maybe what will happen, ja, uh, Rob is that Marie will come in and steal a Hummel figurine for Jimmy. And maybe that's all it's yeah. going to be. Or maybe that there will be uh, a piece of the, uh, Vita Zane, uh, rock that was blown up that ends up in, uh, you know, a Hank is, uh, at a mineral <laughs> convention. Like, uh, where did this come from? Yeah, it's got a little bit of paint on it. I don't understand what's yeah. going on here. Yeah, no, this would be great. Yeah, maybe Werner uh, is a, is a consultant t- teaching Hank how to make Schrader brow. No, maybe, maybe. <laughs> no, see, this is not that. Uh, it is a Hefeweizen. You make this this way. And he's yeah, a chemist too. Yeah, he's a chemist too. That would be good. That would okay. be good. That would be fun. All right, Antonio, I think we've set up everything from the finale. Uh, can't wait to uh, get into it. It won't be long until we're back talking about uh, the recapping the season four finale. Okay, this we promise you. This we promise you. I will podcast on my birthday. We're making, we're making this happen. Oh, I didn't know this. Tuesday. Okay. All right. Uh, happy birthday. Hopefully Better Call Saul delivers me a, uh, a, a nice birthday present in the form of uh, everything that we've predicted. How do you say episode. happy birthday in German? Oh, gosh, who knows? Uh, I don't know. Somebody knows. Bon Natal. Yeah, uh-huh. who knows? Why would you say birthday? Happy birthday. Okay, I'll learn it. I'll learn the song. <laughs> please, please learn the whole song if you don't mind. I would like you to sing the whole birthday song in okay. German if you don't mind. Or if not, I will play a YouTube version. Sounds good. Okay. Antonio, uh, if people have feedback on the finale, BCS at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, we would love to hear from you guys after we watch uh, a jam-packed finale of Better Call Saul. You can follow Antonio on Twitter. He's at AC Mazzara with uh, two Zs and a one R. I'm at Rob Sestrino. Antonio, anything else? No, thank you everyone again for your patience and us getting this up. Uh, Rob, thanks for taking the time on this Saturday afternoon to chat with me. And I'm, I'm glad we're getting to post this up before the finale uh, because I hope we're going to be right about some of this stuff. And I well, like being right on the record, Rob. Okay. As Vita Zane, everybody. Bye. 